Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large 100-plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income, the podcast where we get to talk about all things self-storage. Probably our favorite topic, I'd say. 100% favorite topic. <laughs> I mean, you know, whole podcast, YouTube, everything, you know, book. Yes. <laughs> we do a little bit. We uh, really, really like this space. And today, we are going to be talking about really like an intro into self-storage, getting started, and how to crush it. Um, this is a really important topic to a lot of people, but it's funny because I think a lot of these same things, it, they don't change. Like the fundamentals and the understanding and the getting started is what we use every time we buy a new facility, every time we go to build one. It's always getting started, and it's always making sure we're going to crush it with that asset. So the, you know, this is like an evergreen topic for even experienced investors. In fact, the further you get away from the getting started in the beginning, I think it's almost like the further you start to get into realms where you'll get into trouble. For sure. For sure. And, and like you said, you know, times change, but the fundamentals don't. And uh, like you're saying, I mean, every single deal that we're looking at today versus three years ago, 10 years ago, whatever, we're still looking at those same metrics. Yes. You know? And we're going to yes. cover all those metrics. We're going to talk about those things today. We're going to dive into this, share some insights with you guys. Uh, we know a lot of you out there are just getting started, wanting to get started, diving into AJ's book, Growing Wealth and Self-Storage. Make sure you buy the right one, by the way. There's uh, some copycats on Amazon that are trying yes. to make some money or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so Can't seem to get yeah. them off Amazon. Thank you very much. I know. Yeah. Come on. If anybody has any... like ins at Amazon, just please reach out. Yeah, please like, reach out yeah, to them. We would say, love to. What are you doing? Yeah, get in contact with those guys. Um, no, phenomenal book. And we're going to cover a lot of these topics that are covered in the book. Uh, we're going to kind of go over these things, dive into them, and uh, get you guys set on the right foot. So I think the first thing that we need to talk about is real estate in general and understanding how value is created it and how that really aligns with self-storage. So when we're dealing with real estate in general, there's a few ways that we make money, right? So you have your overall cash on cash return. You have principal repayment of debt. So that means you're paying off that debt. So the debt is lowering, which increases the spread of value, which the debt lowering is being done by tenants. Um, the uh, debt devaluation through inflation. This is a big thing, especially now. So what that essentially means is you're locking in debt, right, at low interest rates, at low prices, yet inflation is rising everything. So that money that you've locked in is actually being devalued, yet your asset and your revenues are driving up. So that devaluation of today's dollar 
and having to pay it off later. That, that's actually a big thing. Um, and then we see the property appreciation, the property itself rising in value, everything from demand to just increased materials um, and through your increase in rates. So as rates go up, property values go up because that's how we value self-storage. We value self-storage based upon returns that you can get as an investor. And then you have tax advantages, right? So a lot of people, when they start looking at real estate overall, they focus on one line item. And I really like to tell people, particularly when you're dealing with self-storage or any other real estate asset, but investing is a dynamic process and it needs to be looked at 3D. And there's a lot of reasons that we're going to get into that, but um, it just can't be solely ever one approach. This can get you into big trouble. I know that a lot of people um, may focus just on the uh, inflation aspect. So they don't even care if it makes money, right? Other people may focus on current cash on cash returns only and not look at the upside in the market or any pricing discrepancies, adding on other lines. So they discount cash flows that should be there that aren't. And so they don't get good deals. We see people that buy just off property appreciation which is something that is great, but you you can't just buy and expect off that. That can get you into trouble. Then there's also people that buy just simply because I need tax breaks. So they're going to get, I want to get write-offs. Um, the key to most of all of this is putting it all together. And we have future um, returns and future drivers. And then we have today's. But when you're looking at self-storage, and any other real estate asset class, it's important for you to understand controllable and non-controllable outcomes. Uh, and I think that's the number one thing that we look at. And obviously, we put all our emphasis on controllable and actual as opposed to non-controllable and maybe future. Um, and we do this spread that I'm looking for. Uh, which we, we'll get into and talk about more. But uh, really, I, I focus all on, uh, and an easier way to put this is when we're looking at controllable, I view that as micro. And when non-controllable, we're viewing that as macro. Um, as in these, most of the times are things that can happen, will happen over the long run. They're proven to happen, right? Um, but they're more bigger things. And that's, we don't, we don't execute on bigger things that are not within our control. We execute on controllable um, things that we can buy, measure, value. And that's a really important piece to having a secure strategy in which you can repeat. Uh, Non-controllable things is not a repeatable strategy. That's not a strategy, really. Mm -hmm, um, and so sure. we don't want to focus on those things when I'm buying, not that those things aren't important and not that those things don't make us tons of money and aren't some of the best reasons to invest in real estate. They are, but it's just not something that I can change, I can optimize, or I can do. So there's no reason to focus on mm -hmm. on those things. There's the icing on the cake yes, that you can get exactly. if you get it. If not, it's not a big deal. Exactly. You might be doing this already, but do you want to in those ways that you can make money from real estate investing that you just went over, do you want to kind of categorize those? 
in yeah. those in macro and micro and controllable yeah. so and controllable. That's a perfect way to look at it. So when we're looking at um, controllables, right? We're looking at cash on cash returns. Okay, um, non controllables would be associated more with the inflation tax advantages. Um, some of these are half and half. So principal payment reduction, I'm going to put half controllable and half non-controllable and same with property appreciation. And uh, the reason I'm putting those half and half is property appreciation. Um, in essence, we don't look at, but property appreciation through improving revenues from our controllables, we do. Through controllable facts. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and principal payment and uh, repayment of debt in controllables, just simply how you're structuring your debt and how you're uh, applying debt payments that you choose on the property. Uh, Non-controllables from the fact that you're getting what the market gives you and that's locked in, right? So there's two sides to those two things. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I love it. Yeah, I thought it'd be a good idea to kind of cover some of those. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Now, when we look at self-storage overall and dive into these fundamental parts of self-storage, it's really important, first of all, to know where the benefits of self-storage are and where the disadvantages are. So if we have our two subjects, benefits and um, disadvantages, which we have to be really clear here, um, first of all, I, I I don't know anyone that's a larger proponent of this asset than me. Um, and I have to be very real about the downsides. And I had some people that, you know, I was talking on panels and they just blatantly wanted to say that self-storage is just, it's the best asset in the world. It just doesn't matter. There's nothing. And that kind of talk is, is, is just frankly silly to me. Right? We want to focus on understanding the asset, the benefits and disadvantages, because downside and risk is about controlling it. It's not about that it doesn't exist or we have to get rid of it. So fooling yourself into saying, I'll just invest in something and it's the best asset in the world and it's never going to change. You end up being somebody that's just buying houses, not on fundamentals in 2007. And then when you get wiped out, you're sitting there looking around like, I don't know what happened right? Like, don't be that guy. So we're going to be very real about some of the disadvantages in self-storage. And we can talk about properties that I have purchased that have been lost and properties that we purchased that are unperforming and different things like that. And then of course, we're going to talk about all of the benefits of self-storage. All right. So let's start it off. Benefits of self-storage. Um, I still do believe that self-storage offers the greatest opportunity for any individuals trying to get into commercial real estate. This is due to the numbers, not just because I love it. It has to do with the amount of storage facilities owned by mom and pops that are smaller and that are not um, at targets for institutional level and large players. And there's a lot of them. And that allows there to be more people that are trying to get into storage to have opportunities to buy that they can actually purchase them. They're not going trying to buy competing with Wall Street. That's a really important piece to market entrance. So when we're talking about 
the fundamentals and the opportunities and the benefits of storage, this is a big one. And two, it should be also told that I generally find that the rate of returns associated with those assets um, are generally much better um, than I can buy on per, with per se facilities that I'm finding because there's not as much competition in them and you can do things like owner financed. You can, there's a lot of opportunities to move. Now with that, those facilities also hold greater risk. And that's something a lot of people also don't like to talk about. And you have to do more of them. And you have to do more of them. And uh, those properties, the risk associated with them is generally speaking, they're not found in the best growing markets. Meaning a lot of this stuff, like I find that you have more weight on controllables in those assets and less, or less, not more weight, but you have more opportunities on controllables, but you have less opportunities on uncontrollables. And that essentially is the risk because the non-controllable part those are things that I view can really kill you because you can't control them. Mm -hmm. So those things include markets dying, oversaturation, right? Those include just fundamental lack of demands. There's no buyers. You can't refinance in times appropriate. So it's so important to be looking at these assets. And like I tell people, that's solely on the controllables. You have to really buy at what's existing in smaller markets and these smaller mom and pop facilities. Look at the cash flow, only focus on that and do not expect there to just be, you know, the greater fool mentality of that there's, oh, somebody's going to pay more. That is an absolute no-go with these types of assets. Um, that just means you're the fool. So that's important to understand. Um, now, one of the, that leads into my second um, advantage or the number one advantage in self-storage is operationally speaking, there is so much. So there's so much opportunity in storage to affect that revenue and raise it higher um, that just doesn't seem to exist in a lot of asset classes. We can really turn revenues around. Uh, this can also though be a downside right? I mean, it can be. It means if you're not doing it right, it will also fail. There seems to be more weight on an operator in a storage facility. We look at these things as the retail. It's about customer acquisition, value presentation. Um, and those things really need to be focused on. You have to be good about managing your tenants and there's turnover in storage. You have to be okay with that. It is not this just totally passive thing that people say like, oh, there's no toilets. And you're like, yeah, but there's month-to-month -month leases and there's constant change and movement. So it's just different sides. Now, the greatest plus about storage, I think, is also one of the greatest weaknesses. And that's it. It's the fact that if I want to work really hard and operate a storage facility well, I can reap the rewards and the benefits of being a good operator. Now, at the same time, if a good operator comes into town and you're a bad operator, you also can get the downsides to that. Um, so that needs to be really, really looked at. Now, the next benefit that I really want to focus on, um, with self-storage is diversification through, uh, tenants. So there's a lot more doors and you don't have like retail. Um, it doesn't seem to be a single point of risk. Uh, you can really 
get a lot more people. So if you have 10 people move out, it doesn't affect you like it may in other high-weighted um, assets that you know one tenant could really destroy you if they move out and you can't fill it up. That's not something we see in storage. Uh, the next thing that is obviously a benefit, now we're coming into, I think, what are the more mainstream stuff? So now we're coming to the fact that there's no toilets, there's, you know, it can be, and a lot of people say, yeah, there's not as much capital expenditures. And, and the reason I don't include this as a benefit, because there's not as much capital expenditures, but that means nothing unless we're looking at it as a, a percentage of value. So the capital expenditures may not be as high, but nor is the value. So if you have to replace doors or gates or roofs, it may equal to the same percentage, right? Or more of capital expenditures needed than you would look at an apartment building. So I, like, you got to look at those things as comparing them really apples to apples. And I don't like to discount that because then somebody that owns a smaller facility has to repair a $30,000 gate. And they're like, that was our entire net profit for the year. Or they need to make a change or they need to want to do something with the facility. They want to remodel the office, but there's just not enough revenue generated to justify that. And they didn't plan on that going in because they were like, oh, there's no capital expenditures, right? Just because they don't seem as large, um, look at it in proportion to what you're buying. You don't want to make these false assumptions and get caught with them. That's very, very dangerous. Such a good point. Such a good point. When another benefit I would add is the, the eviction processes. Again, talking single family, multifamily yes. evictions. That that is like sounds like an absolute nightmare <laughs> in in the housing so much like, investing I just, world. I you know, and it came down to for me especially I'm like if I'm not not willing to be evicting a single mom out with her kids of their home then you shouldn't be a landlord because that's part of it and you need to do that. I I don't at all think that's bad, right? If somebody's not paying the rent, you have to do that. You need the revenue to work on the asset to make sure all tenants have a good asset. And if someone isn't contributing to that asset and then it can fall out of shape, then it affects all tenants. So you must do that. And for me, that just kind of made me a little squirrely. Um, it just did. I'm just something you didn't want to do. Something I just didn't want yeah. to do. Yeah. So I, I thought I sh probably shouldn't be doing that if I don't want to do that. Then if I was going to do it, I, I was going to do it at a much bigger level. So I would never be involved in that. Because then I would do a much bigger asset, and I would completely turn that stuff over. I, I and so when we had to start small, I didn't want to start small and single or multifamily fourplexes, which it was. I was judging between fourplexes and self storage. So that's why I made that move, which I, I think you're right. It's, it is a benefit. It's easier. The laws are oh, way more in yeah. your favor. Just the way legal more. aspects yeah. alone. It's that, just. Yeah. And that, that to me would be the biggest drawback to it. And and again, like you said, you know, people aren't paying their bills. That's one thing. You know, they're, they're not yeah, upholding I, a contract. Sell, or, sell their stuff. Yeah, I have totally no problem get selling the crap. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, the, the, just the legal aspect and the protections and the, and the ease of being able to send somebody a notice and get their stuff out and be done and move on. Like there's yes. no issues no <laughs> and although the lease laws <laughs> are different in every state they're yeah. not comparable to yeah oh not even multifamily yeah. or and it too also when we're talking about the legalities and the contracts these are short-term contracts it's not like we have a five-year lease and all of a sudden 
uh, price per square foot skyrocketed in the market, but I can't change anything with the lease for five years because somebody's locked into it. If there's a value change, I can adjust immediately into the asset. It's, it's just the contractual nature of short-term leases and how people utilize the asset is a huge benefit legally and operationally, and it has to be included. Um, other things that I think are uh, benefits is that um, it, they're lower impact, meaning they're not utilized like a lot of other assets are. Mm, yeah, yeah. Traffic-wise and, yeah. and some of these other aspects, utilization is not as heavy uh, to create those capital yes. expenditures down the road. Yeah, I mean, general yeah. problems. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, we're locking the thing up at 10 o'clock at night. We'll open it back up at 7. You can do that. Right. And you can really, really control. So once again, the controllables is something that we like a lot. Okay, now moving on to the disadvantages and the or the downsides to self-storage. And a lot of these are just opposite sides of the coin. And the biggest that people have to understand is some of the major advantages that we just talked about, like there's no long-term leases, is a big downside. I mean, I don't think people know, and we haven't seen in so long because the market's been so crazy, but you can have a facility built next to you and you can go from 95 to 75% in the blink of an eye. This is something that happens. And so short-term leases also mean that you could be sitting pretty in spring and by end of the summer, you could be in trouble. It can happen that quick. And that's something you don't have in other asset classes. If you're in retail, you have a five-year lease. If they don't, they have to pay that lease. They don't just get to get out of it scot-free. That's not how it works. Multifamily, you have year-long leases. Industrial, you have multi-year leases. So it, it it is a little better than like hotels, which are basically nightly leases, right? Um, but it is month to month and you have to be very, very careful, which brings us to the other side. I think self-storage is much more susceptible to being overbuilt. The reason being is there's lower barriers of entry to enter into the self-storage market. That is probably the number one danger with self-storage. Um, I, even in this market, I have a friend that their, their facility was built. Then somebody built a mile down the road and their fill up took five years in the best five years of self-storage ever. And it took them five years to fill up in the hottest market ever. So self-storage is, it is much more susceptible. I can put a thousand units next to somebody. And at some point, unless you have incredibly rapid growth. I mean, once it's overbuilt, it's just overbuilt and you're in trouble. Um, that is the number one danger. And so that's why even when I look at people and a lot of people try to argue it's the safest asset out there, I'm like, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Multifamily is, I, I, I just, I'm the, I'm the number one self-storage cheerleader. I just don't see how it's safer than multifamily. And I accept that because also it has more upside than multifamily. Mm -hmm. So yeah, more controllables. I, more controllables. And, yeah. I, I like that, but it's just not as secure. So it, it the lower barriers of entry and also a lot of myths associated with self-storage. This is so easy. All you do is open the doors, people lease from you, and it just cash flows. Mm -hmm. And so people get into it. They don't even know what they're doing. I, I, I've met people that have built 85,000 square feet, and I asked them, why did you pick the spot? And they said, because I own the land. 
Mm -hmm. They had no market research. They had no idea what they were doing. They owned the land, so they didn't want to build apartments. They didn't want to build something else. They basically looked and said, what's the easiest asset to build and run? They thought it was self-storage, so they built. Mm -hmm. And then they were confused on why they weren't filling up. Yeah, well, and even our most recent episode, or one of them with uh, with a friend, Frazier, uh, who's just getting started in the investing world here in self-storage, was talking about that very thing of how that's one of the biggest things that, that he's found that people have the misconception of, is that yes. the passive aspect that is, I mean, to a degree, yes, you can achieve that. Yes, but... You got to build it out that way. It has to be managed. Yeah. You cannot have a- Cannot get around that. Unmanaged facility. It doesn't work. No, you can, but you shouldn't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you can, but then we'll buy you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) Your your bank is not going to be very happy about that. Right. Um, In fact, I have a um, a friend that's in our um, um, CRE circle, and they were just talking about today, they just took over a facility- that was completely overrun by weeds, everything else. It had 0% occupancy. It was just too much for the owners to handle. And they literally just didn't know what to do. So they stopped doing anything. And they just basically inherited it. And it was, they just, all the tenants ended up leaving. They didn't, it was overgrown. I mean, they just had to walk away from it. Oh my gosh. So, you know, you don't want to get that. Now, two, that, uh, that those are disadvantages. You also have to remember, this isn't rocket science. It, it's not. But it's just not like it's, you know, it's not an ATM, people. So the disadvantages, once again, are oversaturation, the competitive nature of it. Um, When we look into markets, I'll buy uh, facilities uh, just because I know I can trounce on all the competition in that market. I'm Mm -hmm. like, yeah, we're just going to win everything here. We're going to get all the customers. We're going to get all the top bids. Um, So it's, it's a weirdly competitive landscape because it acts more like retail. And once again, this is a benefit, but it can also be a disadvantage. So you just have to, you know, a lot of these things have to be be weighed. Um, other disadvantages are uh, with development, still lots of cities don't like self-storage properties. And the reason is, is they don't bring in a lot of tax taxable revenue. So you're taking up huge amounts of land and you're not giving taxes associated with that land. Whereas if you had a business, an apartment complex or retail, they get all sorts of taxes. I mean, it's just a really, for cities, it's not a very good tax source. And it also has negative connotation. They still think, oh, so storage means junkyard. One of the biggest things we have to do when building is we have to tell and get the cities around, we build nice, good product. This isn't a junkyard, mm-hmm. right? It's going to be a great addition to the city and there's huge demand for it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's one thing that we we run into and even, even aspects of storage where it's not only the look, but it's, the, the, again, that utilization where, yeah. you know, you go to certain cities or whatever to build and develop and you have things like uh, you have codes where they say, you know, hey, you need one parking spot for every 50 units of self-storage. Yeah. And it's like, like, what? Why? Why? Well, we don't know, but that's just that's what just, we came that's up what with. We, yeah, that's what we and, came up with. So you got to do it. <laughs> exactly. So there's a lot of those hurdles that you have to overcome and it comes down to just educating cities. And sometimes, yeah, you can help influence changes to that code or whatever. And be able to utilize that land in a more uh, beneficial way than having, you know, 30 parking spaces for mm-hmm. the whole three cars a day that are going to show up to your facility. Yeah. It, it, and so there's this education hurdle with them. Um, they they need to get over. Um, other disadvantages is uh, um, the abandonment of certain 
um, not only items, which is a, it, a lot of people we think we sell those and we like make all this money. That's not how it works at all. We 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 virtually never. I think we did a study and it was like ninety four percent of all auctioned units we didn't even break even, meaning we didn't even make up the money that was owed. Haven't found any Lamborghinis so, in a no, unit yet. Nothing. <laughs> and two, we don't get to keep uh, it. So if there's eight hundred dollars owed and they sell that unit for $10,000, we only get the $800. So we don't even get to make money on it. So it's always a net loss um, when you take it in aggregate. Uh, other disadvantages is some of the times the laws associated with vehicles, depending on what state you're in and getting them towed off the site, abandonment issues. So there are um, benefits and disadvantages to storage. So we got to make sure that we kind of walk through these because once again, I think it's the greatest asset. I'm in it. That's all we do. But we do it. And the more that we understand the disadvantages, the better we are within the asset, the better operators we are, the better developers we are, the better we are at acquisitions. Um, that's what helps us be so strong is we are very much aware of the risks, dangers, and downfalls. Now, getting into self-storage, I think there's a lot of um, benefits. So first of all, one of the major benefits of getting into self-storage right now is that it's really hot. So if you need to syndicate, everybody wants to be like, you know, every time I'm in an Uber and I'm like, they're like, what do you do? Oh, I, I am in self-storage. Like, oh yeah, I've wanted to get into that, right? It It's very reminiscent of, um, you know, it's just, it's hot. Now, mm -hmm. this also is a downside. It's hot. Everybody wants in this asset class. It is not like it was when we started, and it's not like it has been over the last 15 years. So that means there's more competition, but it also means values are rising. So it, you can never get a perfect world. Right now, a lot of people are complaining that there's too much competition, yet now they have access to finances. Now they have third-party management. Now they have technology. So there's never been a better opportunity to get in. When there was no competition, when nobody wanted to be in self-storage, there was no financing. There was no easy ways to operate them. They were frankly a nightmare. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it, there will never be a perfect world, right? It's Such a good like, point. And if all of a sudden there's no competition, that means the value of your facility has declined massively. So then you may not have access to capital to buy. So people got to remember that. Like it's, it, you know, the market's hot. That's an advantage and a disadvantage. If the market's not hot, that's an advantage and a disadvantage. It'll never not be that way. So the advantages of today that we're in the cycle, first of all, people are selling. I don't think you understand. We did more acquisitions this year than we had done in the prior two because people didn't want to sell. So there's actually products moving. People can actually buy stuff. Uh, the second side is capitals going into the market. You can get investors and you can get banks to loan on it. And third is values are rising. So we can refinance, take money out. So there's those are the three examples of a hot market or those are three advantages of a hot market and where we're at today. Now, of course, the downsides. Everybody's like, well, I can't find a facility. Well, there's nothing to buy. Well, first of all, we're buying a lot. Um, we're under contract with two more. We bought five in the last four months. Um, so there are out there and they are there. You need to really understand those controllables and you need to understand value, your cash on cash return, how you get them. But there's more opportunity, frankly, to buy today than there has been because there's more transactions. Mm -hmm. Math. Right now, they may you may not have the opportunities to buy them 
and they're at the uh, benefit or the advantage of buying them today because there's more opportunities means that the disadvantage of buying them, maybe not at a price you want to pay. That's how the market works, folks. It's just how it works, right? We got to do it. So today, the strategy is, and what I tell people is, you're really looking at the value add through acquisitions. You're looking at it in comparison to the market. You're looking for improvements. You want to buy poorly ran facilities that you can turn around and increase a really good margin. And the great thing is, once again, the benefit of self-storage is that you can do that. You can find properties. You can affect it immediately. You can, re you can improve those, refinance, take it out. Also, it's much easier to develop now. There's builders, there's capital that wants to get it. So if you're looking at building, it's never been easier to build self-storage. So getting into self-storage, right? When we're talking about self-storage 101, the key is to understand the uh, benefits, the disadvantages, the pros, the cons. You've got to weigh them both in every market and every, in every avenue. Now, when we're looking at really understanding um, self-storage when you're getting into it, it's about understanding the demand per unit, meaning there's products that you're selling to the market and there's demand within that market. This is where we see the most inefficiencies. People have not priced things correct. So the mispricing of products and not giving product market fit, as I call it, they are not tenants. They are customers, they are not units, they are products, and we're doing product market fit. That alone gives us a surge in revenue because people are not doing what is called dynamic pricing, right? All it is is flat rated. There's massive opportunity in that, small, big, doesn't matter. And a lot of people simply view this asset on a cap rate. And they say, I can't find opportunity. I don't understand it. We've talked about this endlessly on this podcast. Go to the YouTube channel, learn about that. I'm trying to get that out of people's minds. Stop valuating it like that, because that is why you say you can't find any opportunities, but yet we are buying opportunities. Yeah, I we mean, know how to look. An example, we picked up a facility in the last few months, well, a couple months even. I mean, super recent that their rates, again, that product market fit, phenomenal product market fit, but severely undervalued, I mean, to the tune of 50% or more. More, more and yeah, I mean, these units are, and the, the facility have been full for years. Yeah. Not a single rent increase. Yeah. These and, opportunities And we purchased there. it at like a four cap, yeah. but we're like, this isn't a four cap to us. This is like a 10 plus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we literally could double rates. Home we bought run. a facility a year ago that we bought at what was essentially a five or a four cap and at that valuation and expenses, everything else. Our gross effective rent now um, is twice, double, mm -hmm. yeah, and what it was. Well, and that one that I was talking about, it, zero capital expenditures, really. Yeah, I mean, there's zero, some, like not, upgrades that we could but, do to it. I mean, but these are nice to. facilities. These yeah. aren't trash pits that we're putting in mass amounts of money for. So once again, understanding how the value coming from and the pricing structures on units. And the rental process, this, this is the key to understanding those facilities. And if you can find somebody that's not doing a good job at that, this is an operational fix that's easy. Now you have the other side where a few small capital expenditures, like maybe moving a gate or updating an office, changes the value proposition. It changes access for, for your customers so they can actually get in and do a sales process. And it also changes the value presentation. So your value presentation is done in an office. It's not done at the unit. So that value presentation can be had. Now, you can also find 
um, a multiple lines of revenue that aren't being executed. Things like insurance, boxes, all sorts of stuff that you can add on to that facility to increase that gross revenue that isn't already being had. 100%, 100%. And this is all stuff that's very easy to implement. Uh, and and uh, we implement uh, tenant, tenant protection as opposed to insurance. So there's options there. Uh, it really just depends on what you want to do and what kind of ancillary products and services that you can and want to offer to uh, to increase that value. You can go and look at some of the big players in the area and, and in your market, see what they're doing, go to other markets, see what they're doing, yes. implement all these different aspects uh, to what uh, to where you can increase that revenue and uh, bring in ancillary products, services, and crush it. What's the spread Dude, there? The bad debt, Jeez, delinquencies. Crazy. That's huge. huge. Absolutely huge. We get so huge. much value in that. Yeah, exactly. Well, and like you said, you're not making money from those people. Get them out, you know. Uh, get them out. Kick them out. Immediately. Get those people out of your facility. And bring in at a higher, newer 100%. rent percent <laughs> Yep. 100%. Super, super easy. I'm glad you brought that one up. That's, that's yeah. a huge a big one. Yeah. Big one. Um, things that you need to look out for first time people is remember when you're looking at the facility, the taxable rate on the facility, what you're, what they're paying for, it doesn't matter. You need to look at the taxable rate at what you're buying it at. Mm -hmm. It's one of the biggest mistakes that we see and even sellers. And we've seen properties where the broker actually underwrote it wrong. They kept that taxable rate at the current value, not when you buy its value. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, when you change that taxable rate and that taxable rate doubles, you're like, that was like 50% of the profit or whatever. Don't mess that one up. And that's really important when you're dealing with small facilities in third, fourth tier markets. That's where we see it happen a lot. That rarely happens on big facilities that are institutional grade because those brokers are pricing mm -hmm. them right. Yeah. So once again, the benefit when we're talking about opportunity, getting smaller facilities, getting in improvements, everything, you have to remember the opposite side of that, the disadvantage of that means that they may not be operated right. The books may not be done right. And um, they may be selling it and mixing up the valuation, everything from expenses. They may not be including labor. So you have to make sure those things are tight. You just don't want to get yourself into trouble when you're buying facilities that need to be turned around. And they may not be being presented truthfully at what the expense rate is. And so how we look at it is I don't care what their expense races, rate, uh, rates are. I only care about what mine are. And that's how I value it. So mm -hmm. I value it at what my expenses are, not theirs. Right, right. And we generally underwrite at what, 37%-ish yeah, expense ratio? Yeah, we do. And when you're in a smaller facility, that goes up a lot and especially depends on how it's managed. Now, some people maybe have a full-time manager on there and their expense load is 47% and you're not going to have a full-time manager, so you get a discount on that. That's an opportunity for you to go in and reduce greatly expenses and improve that cash flow. So once again, it's about it's about looking at the operations, looking at this as a business, not a real estate asset. And that in that in essence is essentially all the opportunity as well as the disadvantages of self-storage and people getting into it. Just remember, this is a business. This is not real estate. And as long as you're looking at it that way, I, like you, it's really easy to find the opportunity. You can really be successful in it. Um, take off that real estate investor hat, put on the business hat, valuate it accordingly. 
I love it. I love it. I think it's a great place to wrap up. If you guys uh, love what you're hearing here, if you guys want to continue supporting us with the podcast, with the books, everything we're doing in the self-storage world, leave us a review, leave us your comments, just interact. You know, get out yes. there, leave your comments, leave your questions, send On us On this emails. podcast, guys, please like, subscribe. 100%. Right. That makes a difference to us. It tells the gods of podcasting, YouTube, yep. internet that you guys like, and then they promote it up and it helps us. Exactly. We're pumping out tons of content all the time. Appreciate all your guys' support. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks, everybody. 